and welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is the man who has a 0-0 record and picked the stick, and he's damn proud of it. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right, Kieran. Pick the stick. Why? Why is that still a thing? <laughs> <laughs> you would think with all these broadcast advancements we have made, the some of those little gimmicky things we could move past especially when a team for a long time was historically not hitting with the stick in their hands but regardless it's a little gimmick that i guess passes the time as they're about to go into the <laughs> into the real broadcast um a lot of a lot of up and down this week Cody and we've said that before but this was more off the field up and down than i guess we're we're accustomed to we have to start with the trade deadline, which, for the most part, might as well have not really even happened. Uh, if you're from a Tigers perspective, there was a lot of speculation. You had written about it. Your colleague, Ken Rosenthal, had written about it. Are they going to trade Tech Skubel? He's available. We went into all of that. Gregory Soto. Hey, you know, this Joe Jimenez guy, he's looking pretty good. He could be pretty valuable for a team in a pennant race. And, you know, they dumped Robbie Grossman for minor league pitcher. And they dumped Michael Fulmer for a minor league pitcher. And I don't want to disparage those young men who are trying to uh, achieve their dreams. But, you know, I just got no juice out of this trade deadline from a Tiger perspective. For baseball, it was an awesome trade deadline. For the Tigers, eh, not so much. Uh, you had been following the team, a couple, couple of road trips, and boots on the ground for anything to happen. I guess the most eventful thing was chronicling Michael Fulmer go across to the other other clubhouse so why don't you just kind of take us through what you experienced with this tread deadline trying to figure out navigate through your sources and you know you see at the news breaks and then what ultimately ended up I know the Grossman uh, deal had happened earlier but what ultimately ended up being for lack of a better term kind of a nothing burger yeah it's uh several days of stress all for not that much. Um, <laughs> definitely, you know, you're hearing a lot of rumors. You're trying to decipher what's real and what's not. And as I think we had talked about, I never actually expected anything super eventful from the Tigers um, at this year's deadline. But there was always a chance things could change as that deadline approached. Um, the Grossman trade happened the night before, so kind of got that out of the way. But news kind of hits of the Grossman trade you know, right after post game. So we're in the Tigers clubhouse trying to do post game interviews as kind of texting people, trying to figure out where he's going, what the return is. Um, end up getting that, the, you know, the Tigers get a lefty named Chris Anglin. Um, his haircut looks like Josh Hader's. So <laughs> I think that's probably the most notable thing about him. Um, and look, you know, I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to move Grossman. So in a way that was a little, not a surprise, surprise, but, uh, they got, they got a taker on Grossman, which overall was good because they wanted That's to fair. move him. They wanted to open up some playing time in the outfield for other guys like Keel. Um, we'll see who, you know, Das Cameron's back up in the majors. Now we'll see if Kerry Carpenter ever gets a shot. Um, that was kind of an, an important move and, lets you at least avoid the awkwardness of, oh, what do we do with Robbie Grossman now? Mm -hmm. And then deadline day comes around, and it kind of had become clear that, okay, uh, they're definitely not trading Scooble. We already knew that. Um, yeah, they're not trading Soto. Word kind of starts getting out that the Tigers' asking price for Soto was, like, ridiculously high, that no one even took it seriously. Um, you know, they had... Some conversations about Joe Jimenez seems like uh, there were no very serious offers. Tigers again had a pretty high asking price on him. The biggest, closest thing to a surprise, I think, was Andrew Chafin, who I thought would be traded. Now, as the deadline nears, we kind of start hearing sound, you know, he has a player option after this season. You and I have talked about, feel like you got to treat it as though he is going to exercise that player option, opt mm -hmm. out of his deal, become a free agent. Um, 
Tigers were basically trying to shop him as a guy who has another year of team control. Um, teams were like, well, we're not giving you <laughs> That's this not true. dude. What if he opts out, you know? Um, so that made it a little tough to deal for Chafin. Now it seems like, though, the Tigers must have had some level of assurance that they think Chafin's going to come back next year. Uh, this thing that he's close to his family in Ohio has been mentioned a couple times, and that is true, and Chafin's a little bit of a different cat. I still think if you're Andrew Chafin's agent, you are doing him a disservice by not having him opt out because he's having a good year. Even if he wants to stay with the Tigers, opt out and be like, yeah, oh yeah, give me half a million more. You know, seems like kind of basic. That's how the that's why these opt outs exist. So I don't know for sure. I heck, I asked Andrew Chafin number one, "Are you surprised to still be here?" And he was like, "Oh, kinda, but kinda not." You know, he said he had had some talks with AJ that indicated the organization likes him and all this. And then I was like, uh, "So is it too soon to ask you if you think you're coming back next year?" And you know, he puts on his best Andrew Chafin voice and says, well, that there's a question for on down the road. <laughs> uh, and then he says, but probably. So it's like, <laughs> all right. Uh, that's example number one on this week's pod of probably getting a call from your agent. Why did you say that? <laughs> um, so I don't know. Bottom line is Andrew Chafin's with the Tigers. They did not trade him. Now you got to hope. He doesn't opt out of that deal, or you're, you could be getting nothing in return. Um, and then they did trade Michael Fulmer for to the Twins. Sawyer Gibson Long, a right-handed pitcher, is the return. Um, crazy to see Fulmer have to walk across, you know, Target Field to the different clubhouse. Stayed at the Tigers team hotel the next night. You know, walked into the coaches as he's heading back to the hotel. And ends up making his twins debut against the Tigers. That was all. That was all pretty, um, just crazy and awkward. So that's a summation of what the deadline was like overall. Not surprised there weren't bigger moves, but when you kind of zoom out and look at it, it's like, okay, the Tigers were in a bad spot. They had some tradable assets, and they did nothing of note. Um, Look, if you didn't get good good offers for Gregory Soto and Tarek Skubal, shouldn't move them just to move them. But I do think it speaks to one more example of just uh, a lack of creativity in terms of improving this team. You know, in a, in a situation where you really need bats, I asked Alavila, like, how do you feel about this deadline? You know, you keep your bullpen, but you didn't acquire any young hitting talent, and... He basically, you know, more or less admitted they need hitting talent, said that's something they could revisit in the offseason. So um, I don't know what exactly the future holds here. Um, a lot of people were up in arms about this trade deadline. I don't I don't know. I just think it was one more example of, like, meh. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, and like a lot of things with this team it's another example of missteps or failures from years ago this that is true uh, too. Mani manifested itself in the present uh, a couple things pro labor podcast right andrew you gotta opt out like that that's the whole <laughs> reason you get it and i remember when a rod had a player option in his Yankee contract, the first one, when I like, well, technically his Ranger contract, you know, years after the trade. Yeah. And they said, don't opt out because they still wanted the discount from the Rangers, the Yankees did. And he was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm opting out. And what did they do? They just gave him a big, <laughs> big contract anyway. So, you know, the you got to exercise you mean the your Yankees, rights. They, the, the Yankees were somehow able to afford that. Incredible. <laughs> well, you know, they also had the father running the team, and now they have the son running the team, and they're not spending as much. Does that sound things. familiar to anybody? Um, anywho, oh. speaking of, you know, from a from a long perspective, so your 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 colleague Jim Bowden did his little thing for you know every team giving a grade with the trade deadline on the athletic you can read it if you're a subscriber in addition to all of Cody's brilliant work he gave the Tigers a D grade which sounds bad obviously however technically second best grade of any team in the division because the Indians or excuse <laughs> me the Guardians and the White Sox got F's 
And I think the Royals got a C, I think, if, if my memory serves correct. So second worst or second uh, best grade in the division. Um, surely the Twins got a little bit. Twins had a good deadline. They no, must have got like me, a B or like A minus. I'd give the Twins a good grade. Well, we'll come back to that. Uh, but he called – I don't want to – I'm not trying to like disagree heavily with Mr. Bowden. But I did think this was hyperbole. He called it a missed golden opportunity for the Tigers to acquire mm. um, to acquire young hitting talent. And, like, I get that, but that also, like, you are not doing that without giving up the valuable yeah, arm asset. I think, like, a you bronze. Know, I just think it's a little far. I think it was, like, a bronze opportunity. Yeah, I, I I just thought that was like a little much because then you're not really improving your team. Okay, so okay, Twins. I'm sorry, Twins got a B plus. I'm looking this up right now. Guardians got an F. White Sox got an F. Tigers got a D, and um, so it was actually third best grade. And Royals got a C. So forever that's worth. Uh, but two Fs in the B division. Plus, wow. So if you're Juan Soto really like set the curve there. If you didn't get Juan Soto, you're not getting an A. <laughs> Jim Bowden's a tough professor. <laughs> well, you know, and if you look at returns, talking about being being creative and uh, getting something valuable for your for your asset, I don't think the Nationals are off too bad, other than giving up a world class talent. But if you give up a generational talent, that's about as good as you're gonna get. Somebody, I think maybe Tim Kirchin called it the best return ever, something like that yeah, for a trade. It's, it's up there, pretty good return. So, we went macro. Let's go micro here for a second. Um, obviously, there were just fires left and right on Tiger's Twitter. Um, you can follow Cody at Cody Stabenhagen. My, I myself am at Kieran underscore Steckley. And it was, I know it's a lot of young people, but it kind of reminded me of just like old man yells at clouds. Because it was, <laughs> and I get it. Um, this is an observation, not a criticism. So, just to make that clear. But it just seemed like there was nothing that was... I was trying to imagine what was going to make people happy. And to be honest, I, I, I came up with like nothing. Because if you trade Joe Jimenez, you're getting... You know, you're probably getting a nice minor league hitting talent, potentially. But not anything that's probably going to you know, make you feel good when you go to work on Wednesday morning. You know, And if you, if you trade Gregory Soto, you would probably get a good return. But you're also down your back-to-back all-star closer and you could people could be upset about that and then if you trade Cherik Skubal you're damn sure better get something good in return but then again you just traded away a potential all-star so the options were trade back-to-back all-star or trade potential all-star and get something good in return but then you're down those assets that have been that are homegrown talents Chafe and trade, I guess. No matter what you trade for, you know, trade him for, you probably would be happy just because of the previously mentioned player option. But I was looking for the the bona fide win here for the front office, and I, I just don't really think it exists. And to be honest, there's not really a lot of reason to be looking to give them W's. You know, like l- l- let's just be frank here. I I I kind of. I came up with the analogy that uh, Alavila was like at Murphy's, our old college uh, bar, thinking that it's 10.30 p.m. and he has a lot of options for what he wants to do that night <laughs> instead of it being 1.35 a.m. and you're out of options. And you kind of got to get what you can get. That that, 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 that that was my interpretation about the deadlines. That, does that land? <laughs> uh, that's... That's pretty spot on, unfortunately, yeah. So, I came up with something that we can discuss a little bit. I call it the peeved meter. Let's speculate or <laughs> interpret. We'll go one through five. One, you scale one to five, not peeved, five, very peeved about either something that did happen or could have happened. The Fulmer deal, peeved meter, I kind of gave it a... I gave it a two uh, on the P meter for Tigers fans because he's an expiring contract. You basically have to trade him. 
that would be a one if it wasn't going to a divisional opponent and then having to see him pitch like, like the next day um that that gave it a two out of five for me you got you got a yeah, two's about right. Overall, definitely didn't expect much of a, a return for Fulmer, but it makes you makes you wonder a little bit. You know, I've never made a trade. I don't know what it's like having to set the market for a player. But I don't know. You got Reese Olsen for Daniel Norris last year. I think Reese Olsen appears to me to be a better regarded and overall more interesting prospect than uh, Sawyer Gibson Long. And Tigers were talking to contending teams about Fulmer. So why seemed like you had no leverage and you made it known that you had no leverage and you just took what you could get. So not great, but overall, um, it's not like the, the ceiling for that trade was very high to begin with. True. Um, I'm going to give the Grossman deal a one just because I think there was... Well, first of all, I don't know if there was a whole lot of desire to see him play that many games in a Tigers uniform um, just because, you know, the struggles that we've all seen and what we need to yeah. see out of Akil Badu and, and others. And I believe the pitcher they got was, is he 19, 20? Uh, at least he's young. Um, yeah. One of them's young. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. So you get a you get a young lefty. You know, that's something, too for an expiring contract that allows you to get other players more playing time uh i give that a one i don't i i in fact uh, probably the biggest positive is that you found a partner to to take on robbie grossman yeah definitely i think the the frustration from tigers fans is more about the inaction than the actions you move grossman that's good it's chris england guy went to howard junior college i believe in texas had a couple friends uh from high school play at howard Good junior college program. Not sure that means you're going to be a good major league pitcher, but hey, shout out. <laughs> shout out Howard Junior College. Shout out Howard Junior College, friend of the program. Uh, okay, so a Scooble trade would have to be so, – so we can kind of lump the Scooble and Soto potential trades into, into one because I think those would be fives. Because even if you get good return, a you know the general public is not going to really know about these prospects that they would get, right? Um, they would just have to read you and others, Tyler's minor league report, and you know to to kind of get a, their own assessment. But the bottom line is this: is that there's no trust, yeah, from the front office, and so if Scooble gets dealt or Soto got dealt the interpretation would just automatic or the assumption would automatically be that you're not going to get Al's not getting a good return because there's a lot of examples. One of them's in Houston uh, of just not being able to assess other teams, minor leaguers, whether that's fair or not. The bottom line is the bottom line, as they say, I feel like that would have, it might have been a six out of five because you have you have all star and potential star, and therefore you're and then you don't trust the front office. I, I think that would have been a burn down. I think that would have been a burn down if Scooble got traded. Soto, maybe a little bit less, but if Scooble got traded, that would have been something that I mean, look how much they freaked out when it was just that they were listening. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, no, that's a good example of like. Uh front office is in a little bit of a no-win situation in terms of public perception now i think a lot of that is the front office's own doing but mm -hmm. yeah you trade scooble no matter what people would have been angry you know you traded our ace for this now it's okay well you didn't trade scooble you did nothing to improve the team and i don't know it seemed like scooble wasn't happy that these trade rumors existed i still don't know exactly who his anger or um let's not say anger let's say frustration lies with um but you know uh overall i, I think it's a good thing they didn't trade Derek school i agree i agree I, like i was happy to see that he wasn't traded and you know soto to a lesser extent but soto's in that category too because whether how much we really think about closers, it's still a guy who's ha who who is successful in that role, and then you would have to start all over. 
um, overall, I'm happy with keeping Soto and yeah, don't I was, mind. I was thinking of this. I heard a pretty convincing argument for like holding on to your bullpen pieces. It's like those are the guys who are winning you games. You know, if you make the postseason, uh-huh. they're the guys with the ball in their hands. And then I was like, well, but that was kind of the Tigers thinking at last year's deadline. Like these guys could be pieces. We aim to contend. Let's not move them. How did that work out? You have a great bullpen. And your team's terrible because you don't have much else to show. Um, You've shown you can develop bullpen arms. I'm still like, I don't know what the Tigers might have been offered for Gregory Soto. If it wasn't anything to write home about, you know. But if you could have got like a decent hitter, man. Like, let's say like above average hitter. You know, young hitter, hitting talent prospect. um, I think overall that's, that's better for your system. That's just me personally. Well, okay, so I say I'm happy that those guys weren't traded, but I was kind of, in a way, I would have been intrigued if they were actually dealt and then you get some hitting pieces in return because I sort of would, I think myself and like a lot of fans would love like a better sense of direction with the franchise. So if you trade away some prime arms and you get hitting prospects in return and maybe maybe one the two of them are major league ready or you know quad a players or whatever at least they can kind of contribute on the field see what they can do on, at the major league level I, I almost kind of want to just kind of go all in on hitting and then just kind of figure it out pitching wise sort of like a, an nba team you know going all in on the three pointer and not really caring about centers like i like just kind of get just acquire well, arms and i, I like, wonder if that's one of the reasons that they didn't take that path because that makes it look all the more like, oh, this front office has no idea what's going mm-hmm. on. We staged this rebound rebuild around pitching. Yeah. Oh, now we're going to switch and go all in around hitting, even if that's what they need to do, which you there's a there's a strong argument that's exactly what they need to do. I don't I think that does not look good for the optics of of this particular group. Well, OK, real quick before we kind of move on to other stuff, uh, school bowl concern level arm injury i don't know uh i'll put it at a five out of ten because it sounds like it's not bad but that's kind of what we seem to get told with every arm (laughs) injury so i'm just gonna put it somewhere in the middle until we (laughs) know more uh i want to talk are are we continuing to go with this one through five thing so i want to talk about joe Jimenez a little bit let's move on yeah joe Jimenez. Okay, Joe Jimenez, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. The the type of trade I would have liked to see the Tigers make. Um, the Marlins and Blue Jays had a pretty interesting trade. The Blue Jays acquired Anthony Bass and Zach Pop, um, two relief pitchers, generally probably of a lower profile than Jimenez, but who are having real nice years. And they get... Uh, in return, the Marlins got um, infield prospect Jordan Groshans. Groshans, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but he's a top 100 prospect. He was number 12 overall draft pick. He's a pretty well-regarded um, player. Like that's the type of of return I would have liked to see the Tigers get. And then I think, well, would would Jimenez for Groshans be a fair trade? And I'm like, well. You're giving away a pretty good reliever with one-year team control for a talented infield prospect who has not hit for power at the upper levels of the system. Does have some pretty good on-base numbers. I think he'd be a nice piece um, for the Tigers' farm system. Would I feel good about trading Menez for Groshans straight up? And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not... I wouldn't hate it, you know, it would at least be interesting, it would at least, you know, and I don't know what the Blue Jays might have thought of such a deal, but the Blue Jays clearly wanted relievers, and they did not make a trade with the Tigers, they ended up sending one of their better prospects to the Marlins, they did get two arms in return, Um, I just thought that that was like a good barometer of, you know, Al saying, hey, the, the market for relievers was flooded, and look, there were a lot of relievers available, but the Marlins didn't have a too hard of a time getting at least an interesting uh, quality return. All right, so I I also have a theory. See how this lands for you. As I short, as I you know spent the better part of the week just trying to figure out like what would have gone into the little action 
that the Tigers have the deadline. And I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if like a like a really active owner would if he's deciding he's going to go in a different direction front office wise would probably put the clamps on a GM at the trade deadline because whoever you hire next, you're going to want to give a full array of assets to, you know, do their job. And it's, it's, and then it's funny reading Al's comments where he's talking about this off season and next year and, and all that stuff. It's obviously black and white from what Twitter seems to think that he's, you know, on the green mile. And then, uh, and then he's talking about, you know, what steps they need to take moving forward, which, you know, what is he supposed to say? Like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see in a couple months. I wonder if, like, if, if it's possible that ownership was sort of like, don't deal our heavy assets because we're going to need them for, you know, moving forward. And this might be like Al doing right by the franchise by, uh, you know, not going against the owner's wishes or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I wonder, because that happens in sports occasionally. Now you could argue why let them do the deadline or the draft or whatever. And I understand that, but, uh, these things never really happen as uh, as a smooth timeline as we always would like them to, right? So uh, that's just a theory I had. I is, is it one percent true? Is it two percent true? I don't know. But ha- does that la- does that land anything for you? It's an interesting theory. Um, I don't know the truth, so I. I'm not going to speculate. I would guess like that's probably not a thing that happened. Like my simple logic is like if you're going to put the clamps on a GM at the trade deadline, why would you why would you not just go ahead and move on um, from that GM? And everyone wants, wants to know, are they going to fire Al? Are they going to fire Al? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, the writing seems to be on the wall if you look at it from just a logic standpoint. What have I actually heard? Well, you hear a lot of rumblings and there have been a ton of rumblings in the past week. And nothing's actually happened. Um, I think we're gonna have to wait and see. Well, was well, how was Al? Was Al his typical self with the yeah, post pretty, deadline? Pretty normal, yeah. So that's interesting to me because, like, if he knew he was out, is I assume he's probably not a good actor. Like, <laughs> like he probably, he's probably not <laughs> out there talking about next year. I don't think. I don't know. And and not that it really has to matter all that much, but he did get what was it last year um, a trade or excuse me a, a contract extension, or oh, was it two was years way, ago? That was way back in twenty nineteen. Ah, that was that long ago. I thought it was more know. recent. But so so who knows? It. The bottom line is that. There's not a lot of trust with the front office, and so therefore any move that is made or not made set, gets set up for a heavy amount of criticism, and I'm not even saying that's wrong. What we what, saw, yeah, what I what I can tell you is a fact that even internally, like organizational morale is not good. So that's all I know for fact. Well, let's let's wrap up, I guess, this trade deadline portion with. Uh, AJ's handling of the situation. Obviously, you know, it's a guy with a big voice uh, in the, uh, you know, with the team or whatever. Uh, I assume he's probably happy to still have a lot of those horses in the bullpen that he can go to. Uh, AJ likes his bullpen for all the people who were like, oh, Al didn't do anything. I don't think AJ was dying to part with any of these guys either. AJ likes his relief pitchers. So, I talked about a lot of emotions in regards to the trade deadline. Something that is only on the the high side would be Lou Whitaker getting his number retired Saturday night in front of an amazing crowd from what I could gather via Twitter. I was at a wedding in Pittsburgh, so I'm trying not to be too rude and like on my phone too much, you know. Uh but from what I could tell, it seemed like a great event, great environment, and uh, always great to see see like a franchise legend get to realize how much people care about him, you know, and and how much of an impact they have had on 
thousands, millions of people of which they've never met, you know, and, and so that's a real powerful thing. It's one of the great things about sport. So you were there, Cody. You got to see. You've talked to Lou. You've written about Lou. Uh, kind of describe those who couldn't make it, what, what, that, what that event was like on Saturday night. Yeah, first off, I think the Tigers, you know, kind of marketing and event planning team deserves a shout out. I think one of the things the Tigers do very well is plan these bigger events, these ceremonies. They've they've nailed the um, jersey retirements and stuff for the 84 team in the past. They did a great job with Miguel's 500 and 3000 ceremony. And I think this Lou Whitaker ceremony might have been the best of them all, um, kind of a needed boost of positivity in in dark times around this franchise you're right it was the biggest non-opening day crowd at comerica since august of 2016 so wow six years it's been a long time so barack obama being president (laughs) uh yes so been a long time um and lou you know yeah i did a big story about lou and his hometown of martinsville virginia in 2019 and I think that story really helped me get a, both an understanding and appreciation for his psyche and how his mind works. And, you know, he's always been known as kind of introverted or a little bit reclusive. And 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 some of that's true. It's also a classic case of a guy who's probably always just been a little bit misunderstood. But I think with time and age, he's started to open up a little bit. And you could just tell from watching him, he was around uh, Detroit for a few days leading up to the ceremony that I think this meant a lot to him. It's not quite the Hall of Fame, but um, I wonder if a certain way it's more fulfilling. You know, it's like going Mm -hmm. home to a family that loves you, you know, a family of 40 plus thousand people that were there um, all for him. And he had a lot of people from his hometown, friends and family come to see this moment too. I think it was some validation to, to see his name up there with, um, Alan Trammell with Jack Morris. Lou was pretty engaging all weekend. He was, he was funny, you know, he talked about, I'm going to have to come back in a month or a year and see what it looks like for we- for real. See what my name looks like on the wall. Um, I thought that was cool. Um, so yeah, I haven't got to know Lou a little bit and understand how his mind works. Like it, it, in a way, I think it was heartwarming because I think it meant a lot to him. Um, aside from any hall of fame conversation, it was good to see the tigers honor one of their own, of course. And they did a, a good job in planning and executing the whole thing. We've talked about before it's been written about, we don't have to do the you know why he should be in the hall of fame discussion but i am curious how he like like that that's got to be an interesting existence someone who was who who's was excellent great uh at your chosen profession and at worst is a borderline hall of famer a lot of people believe he should be in the hall of fame and so every year it's kind of like a waiting game with, you know, was it the modern era committee or whatever they call it now. Uh, and that process is, is unique as well. Didn't get hardly any votes in the, in the normal, uh, the normal balloting process. Uh, but there's been, I, I mean, I assume that it's outside of Detroit too, but I guess my scope is narrow, but it does seem like there's a lot more people that, you know, think him to be a Hall of Fame or at least worthy of really diving deep and looking into it. So, yeah, how does he, what does he say about that? What does he, you know, you have any idea of like how, 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 how does that feel to sort of be waiting for a call that unfortunately mm-hmm. might just never come? Um, it's funny. People think Lou's like, like quiet, you know, and, and maybe he is, but in my experience with him, I mean, he rambles a lot, you know, uh, he's, (laughs) there's no shortage of words coming out of his mouth. It's just trying to decipher his exact message is a little bit of a different challenge. Um, so when I've heard Lou talk about this, I get, you know, he says he's never been disappointed. He says he's okay. He says it's not for him to judge. He wants to have humility. And then he, by the end of it, he usually starts tailing off into, but sometimes I think about it and I think, oh, that guy's in the hall of fame and we beat them. <laughs> and he know he's aware of the, the war totals and he knows 
the arguments. Um, so I see someone who's trying to handle it with class and dignity, but who clearly, at the end of the day, wants to be in the Hall of Fame. And I know from talking to some of his family, I think a nephew that he's close with when I did that story, he really got his hopes up in 2019, probably for the first time. He kind of thought he was getting in, and he then he didn't. So, um, And it wasn't I'm, as I'm sure close as a lot of people been, thought it would be either. Yeah, he got six of the 12 necessary votes to get in through the Modern Era Committee. So only halfway there. Um, he'll be eligible for induction again this coming December through another similar committee. I think this one's made up mostly of players. So will that make a difference? I don't know. We will see. Um, and for anyone who wants to dive deeper into these arguments, check out my article on The Athletic on Lou's Ceremony. Within that article is a link to a podcast I did all about Lou Whitaker's Hall of Fame chances. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Lou clearly wants to be in the hall. You know, he wants to say the right things. He wants to have some grace about it. But, um, I, I, you know, I think even more so with Trammell and Morris being in there. He's like, man, it's, it, my teammates were in there. Compare his career to Alan Trammell's. They are remarkably similar. Um, you know, I think it would mean a lot to him to get in the hall. Uh, I think, you know, it, it sucks to frame this weekend, the Jersey retirement is like a consolation, but if it is a consolation, I think it was a really good one that, that is meaningful to him nonetheless. Yeah. And I, I also kind of got thinking a little bit too, how teams handle Jersey retirements is interesting. Uh, or I guess the process of deciding to retire somebody's Jersey, <laughs> because Trammell and Morris's weren't retired, I believe, until they were Hall of Famers. And, I, and you know, I know, like, you know, Willie Horton's immortalized as well, and he's, you know, not in the Hall of Fame. But it the process is always interesting to me. It, you know, in, you know, Ring of Honor stuff and football and, and you know, basketball jersey retirements, it's 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 a it's a weird deal. Uh, I had totally— Jimmy Johnson needs to be in the Cowboys' <laughs> Ring of Honor. Let's go. Make it happen. Stop sniveling, on, Cody. Uh <laughs> Cowboys fans will get that. Uh, I also had forgotten, you talk about 2019, I had forgotten that that was, like, this had been pushed back a couple years. That, like, you know, another example of kind of COVID, you know, altering, I know this is light in in, in regards to a lot of things related to COVID, but sort of like, we're talking about an amazing day for him and his family having to wait two extra years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that's not nothing, you know? And I had said this last year when we were talking about Lou Whitaker, but if anyone that doesn't remember, or, you know, is a relatively new listener, you know, I had talked to um, a couple years ago, uh, Ron Kittle, also former AL Rookie of the Year, and played a long time, for, or most notably for the White Sox. And he's actually the last out of Jack Morris's no hitter. He, I asked him, I was like, "Is Lou Whitaker a Hall of Famer?" And he said, "Yeah, you know, he's kind of thinking about it." And he goes, "Yeah, if Allen's in, Lou should be in." And it's unfortunate that by one guy being in and one guy not being in, we almost no pit them against each other, but we have to sort of say like, well, he's in and he's not. And, and it's gotta be tough for Lou when they literally had their entire professional journey together. And it, it does feel empty. I know Alan talked about it with regards to the, the Jersey retirement, you know, them being next to each other. It's, I don't even want to talk about Cowboys, Drew Pearson, how long he waited to get into the hall of fame. And he thought he was going to get in a couple of years ago, and he didn't get in. And he said, they're not going to get me again. Like, he was kind of led to believe he was going to get in. And he eventually did get in uh, most recently. But I don't – I'm not really getting my hopes up this time around. And I don't know what will kind of go into uh, – what goes into why they – you know, how they decide this process. But it's, it, it's one of those things where I'm not going to allow myself to get my hopes up. But – all that stuff is independent of what looked like an amazing night in Comerica, of which also the Tigers, the bats came alive for Lou. I mean, how how, how about it? Yeah, that was good. It was almost it was like 
this team enjoyed playing in front of a big crowd. It was like this big crowd enjoyed watching a team that was hitting the ball. It was like, oh, <laughs> why can't it be like this? So all? this is what it looks like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to go back. It, it, it's such an interesting thing with even Jersey retirements. Like where, where do you draw the line of who gets in and who, who's not? I was talking with a couple uh, other writers and a couple Tigers employees and you know, someone brought up Bill Freehand, who I think has just as good, if not better, of a Hall of Fame case than mm-hmm. Lou Whitaker. It's like, well, uh, why isn't Bill Freehand's number retired? And now Bill Freehand has, has passed away. So, you know, if it were to happen now, it would be, you know, after his death. It's like, okay, well, and then we start having the conversation, and then by the end of it, we had retired, like, 10 more jersey numbers. <laughs> and it's like, okay, no, now this is too many, you know, like... <laughs> Like where where do you draw the line? Who gets in and and who doesn't? Uh, you know, Kurt Gibson should his number be retired? Well, he wasn't a Tiger his entire career, like, but he was still Kurt Gibson. He had the iconic you know home run in '84. Yet, mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah, it, it, it you got to draw the line somewhere, and yeah, you also kind of running out of room on the wall a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, they're going to have to redesign that wall for, for Miguel and Verlander. I think will definitely uh, definitely be up there in which they're going to have to totally redo it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was actually I was actually thinking as I was doing my notes, I was like, there's actually, you know, as poor as the Tigers have been on the field for, yeah, better part of a decade – uh, there's actually a lot of like legacy tigers positivity that has gone on in the past several years. So Jack Morris, we mentioned Jack Morris and Alan Trammell getting in the Hall of Fame. Uh, when when Al Kaline passed, there was a nationwide conversation, and I think a renewed appreciation for how great of a player he was, how uh, how wonderful of a person he was. Uh, Miguel Cabrera again, 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, and Lou Whitaker, as we said, kind of being in the public conversation about how great he was. Is he a Hall of Famer? Is he not in the Hall of Famer? And Dan Petrie broadcasting on Peacock. Yeah. So, you know, the for the Legacy Tigers, I feel like it's been a pretty good several years. <laughs> Didn't even realize it until I kind of put it out, put it out there. Um, speaking of Miggy, we'll go into that now. It's one of those things where I just don't know where to land on it because the message changes. The message literally changed from day to day. So Thursday, it gets out there that, you know, his his knee's bad. It's his right knee, correct? His right knee. Mm -hmm. Yes. So his right knee is just shot, I guess is just a lame way to put it. And it's not really gonna there's no way to fix it 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 is what it is at this point a lot of torque kind of reminds me of a rod's hip where it's just like there's just like there's just like wear and tear over the years and how much power those guys have with what they do and you know that the the human body has limits right and so i'm i'm kind of thinking all right Maybe this is it for Miguel Cabrera. You know, the Tigers are coming to Texas here in a bit. I got to make sure I go to a game so I can see him one last time. I've seen him a handful of times over the years. And then he just says, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to quit on this team. I'm going to, you know, fulfill my contract. He's got one more year on his deal. Uh, for the record, if he retires after this year, let no one think that that's him, quote, quitting on the team. Like, yeah. like I, I, I understand he was not meaning it that way, but if anyone ever were to think that, uh, we're, we're going to have to market correct you real quick. You wrote about that this week, and then the day, you know, a day later is when he, like, clarifies or whatever. Uh, is there any sort of context that you can provide to help us understand this situation? I, I wish I had a better grasp on it. Uh, for as miserable as this year has been, this team has found a good way to have some drama and some situations that just make you scratch <laughs> your head and that just you know point. keep me keep my stress level high. And and this was one of them. I mean, the Miguel stuff comes out. AJ's like, yeah, well, he's only gonna he's gonna have to play every other day, kind of going forward. His knee's doing really bad. I was like, how concerned are you? Well, I'm really concerned. 
Okay, so going to the clubhouse, and there's Miguel. And, you know, Miguel's not always the most approachable guy, but it's pretty clear we're going to have to talk to Miguel. I look at him, and I literally did, like, that, like, the thing with my fingers. Like, I see you, man. And I walk over there, and there are a couple other reporters behind me, and I'm like, we'll see how this goes. Miguel gets up, walks forward, and, like, meets us in front of his locker. Like, kind of meets us halfway. You know, he's, like, smiling on his face, like, hey, man, how's your knee? Oh, this is, you know, he goes on to say it's, it's really bad. It's hurting him. It's causing him a lot of pain. Um, is he okay with not playing? Yeah, he gets it because he doesn't want to hurt the team. He doesn't want to hurt the city. He loves the city. Well, Miguel, everyone wants to know what, what does this mean for next year? Well, I don't know. I'm going to have to talk to my agent. I'm going to have to talk to the GM. I'm going to have to talk to everybody. Pretty much what he said. That's pretty, uh, number one, it was kind of sad to hear. Number two, it was the first time he had ever expressed any uncertainty. He had always, he'd been asked about it before and always stated he intended to finish his contract. Uh, I felt like there was not much of a gray area. He was asked, what do you think about next year? He said, I don't know. I have talked to the agent, talked to the GM, talked to everybody. Seemed like a, a marketed change in tone to me. Uh, so everyone writes the story, MLB Network does a segment on it, you know, kind of kind of a big story. Show up the next day, Miguel's in the corner of the clubhouse, just clearly kind of angry, talking in Spanish while pointing at all the reporters. I'm like, okay, this doesn't <laughs> seem great. And I'm like, what do you, I don't know, what do you want me to do? By the end of it, he gets up, he walks across the room to Chris McCoskey of the Detroit News, and he tells Chris, and only Chris directly, that... Um, He's not going to retire. He's going to play next year, finish out his contract, and that yesterday uh, the reporters did not understand what he said. Um, now, personally, I think this is kind of an example of old Miguel, something we haven't talked about as much the past few years that we haven't seen as much. The uh, It's never his fault. It's always someone else's fault, Miguel. Mm. The... You know, just I, I've seen it happen before. 2019, um, Miguel was hitting for no power at the start of the year, and he told the Detroit Free Press it was because he had no one good hitting behind him. It was because Nico Goodrum was the guy hitting behind him. So the Free Press writes that story. Doesn't make Miguel look great. Miguel comes back. Oh, I didn't say that. All right, man. Uh, and in this case, I do think. There's probably some financial sense to it. I would imagine Miguel's agent saw these stories. And keep in mind, in Venezuela, this is, like, national news. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure he's like, hey, probably might not want to frame it like that. We got $32 million on the line. Like, you want me to negotiate the buyout right now? Or you want to, like... Uh, <laughs> so Miguel changes messaging and, like... I feel like there's going to have to be another third conversation now to like clarify at some point, which probably isn't going to be fun. And now it's just kind of a mess. And I think that that is, this is what, how things get awkward. You know, it was, it was kind of sad if it was looking like, Oh, Miguel might have to actually think about retiring this year after he's playing so well, after he was in three Oh eight, less than a month ago, be like, Oh, that'd be sad, but it'd still be, Kind of graceful, kind of an understanding. Oh, his knee's just that bad. You know, this is this is it. And now, if he really intends to play next season, it's like, well, you you're under contract. You're gonna get your money one way or another. Uh, you don't necessarily have to play well next season, but you need to be able to play. Like you can't mm -hmm. be in the lineup one half of the time or one third of the time if you're going to occupy this spot on the roster especially for a team that supposedly is trying to get better trying to contend um miguel over the past month his batting average has fallen 43 points you can tell he's in pain it's been tough to watch now we have seen this a time or two before and somehow he i guess finds ways to manage the pain a little bit and bounce back but in a lot of ways, I'm surprised he's made it this far, and it's just really tough to see this going on for another year and a half. Um, oh, I've never pictured this having like a, a graceful ending every time you start to see a path to one. It's like it kind of gets distorted. <laughs> so that's, I don't know, that's where I land on all this right now. I think there are a lot of hard um, decisions and hard conversations to come regardless of 
whatever Miguel might say in, in the media next, like the real decisions are going to have to happen behind closed doors. Yeah. And graceful. I, I love, I love you using that word. I mean, we kind of talked about this a little bit with the honorary all-star thing. And I was, I, I had said that I had mixed feelings about it because it's like, you know, he said he's going to play next year. So if, uh, It'd be kind of weird to do that back to back, but also you would like that to be his final year. That that, and then you know, I read your story and oh, okay, well then it all worked out. He's gonna have you know, he got the honorary All Star in his last year, and then you know, as I'm catching up on news in between flights or whatever, I'm like, oh, so we walked that back. Um, another thing that I thought was, I thought was unfortunate this mixed messaging. Because it unintentionally kind of leans into a criticism of Miguel Cabrera that I think is that that I don't think land, that doesn't land well for me in the sense of sometimes it's hard to wrap your arms around like uh, his voice because it's he 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 has mixed. I think I guess you could probably say up and down relationship with the media, and and you talked about with you know sometimes you know there was a time where you know nothing was his fault and we had been riding a good plane it seemed for a while now and then this kind of little bump in the road happens and that was my my first that was one of my thoughts was unfortunately this is gonna further lend itself to people that say like you know. There, he's not on their Mount Rushmore of Detroit athletes uh, over the past however many years because, if, you know, for X, Y, Z reasons that, you know, could go in a variety of directions I don't want to go into. But that was one of my thoughts is that just kind of leaned into something that's been a criticism of Miguel Cabrera, and I, I just kind of wish it didn't, you know? Yeah, it seemed like we had we had just gotten away from that the past couple of years, and maybe Miguel had settled into a different place, and he just seemed more wise and and mature. And then I think up and down is a good way to put it. I think that's a theme with not just it's not just about the media. I mean, his personal life, certain things on the field, his fitness, like up and down, is kind of a recurring theme in the in the story of of. Miguel Cabrera and so it seems like we're nearing another down so does it is well, it gonna finish on another up maybe so you know? well I, I think we can place a good amount of money that there's gonna be some awkwardness um at, at least I think it just got awkward I think it's partially Miguel's fault for the next mixed messaging I think if you come out with one message one way or another it's a lot less mm-hmm. awkward I think when you say one thing and then say the other now it's awkward and from like a team construction standpoint you know let's just say he's gonna have to be able yeah. to play like he's he doesn't he's not gonna have to be able to play well yeah. he's been below replacement level for five years now he's gonna have to be able to be in the lineup and so seems like aj saying like. the right things but you know at the same time the bottom line is the bottom line you know and if if there let's just say there is a new gm like that's one of the first things you're going to have to, you know, he or she is going to have to figure out is what is the right path forward for this. Uh, this is also an instance of which a an owner with a big voice would be able to step in in some fashion and sort of lead the direction in whichever way he sees fit, he or she sees fit. So it's uh, it's it's got the potential to be dicey. And there's more dicey relationships at the end than I think we realize when we just look back fondly. So no matter what, we're going to be able to look back fondly. There's going to be a Jersey retirement. There probably should be a statue um, as well. Oh, And and so, like, it's all going to be good, but it could could get dicey. Uh, All right, so full disclosure, as I said, I'm in Pittsburgh for a wedding. I'm... Flying, traveling, layover, in all day on Sunday. So we're recording this Sunday morning. So anything of, of note in the Sunday game, uh, we won't get to. Any 
do you have Cody a storyline or two individual of of which now that we know the construction of this team for the rest of the year post trade deadline that you're keeping a keen eye on? Uh, I think the the easy ones are Purdue. It's a huge one. Uh, this Daz thing. This Daz thing. We're still trying to figure out. Uh, you mentioned you know is Carey gonna get his shot? Is Willie Castro going to continue to be Willie Mays? You know, that look, looking looking forward to that. Will we confirm the existence of Eduardo Rodriguez? I think that would be uh, that would be good as well. Uh, any and of course health. Like at this point, like with Scooble, you're you're just kind of you're a Tigers fan. You're praying that there's no injury that is of long term. Uh, and so he can be good to go next season. But is there anything that you're sort of looking to? I think you can boil it down to two themes. It's who who gets a shot, you know, focus on the young guys. Who else might come up from the minors? Ryan Kreidler, you know, Kerry Carpenter, and then the Akil Daz type guys, like who can solidify a shot for next year's roster? Who do you kind of have to decide oh we're probably moving on from this guy or more in the case of a like oh does this guy fall back more into the he probably starts next year in triple a or on the fringe of the roster the second theme is health and, and pitching health um eduardo and matt manning you know you got to get these guys on the mound you got to get them throwing a lot of innings uh what you don't want is them on innings restrictions entering next season you know and that's another kind of awkward decision Eduardo, I, I'm worried about the guy's arm health, man. We've seen all these injuries. He's had a weirder year than anyone. Like, is he going to be back healthy? If so, is he going to be able to sustain it? Um, you know, next year he's he's going to ramp up and he's going to throw, and then it's going to be the off season and he's going to have to ramp up again. That just that just seems like a mess waiting to happen. I hope I'm wrong there. Um, you know, and you, you want to get Bo Brisky back. You want to hope Scooble's fine. You hope you can end the year with, like, your actual pitching staff, you know, minus, obviously, Casey Mize, but um, I think you can feel better about just this team having some sort of solid foundation if you're able to actually see the staff as it was supposed to look like, which we kind of have not seen all season. Mm -hmm. I'd really like to see two outings of which Matt Manning looks sharp. Mm Mm-hmm. That would that would do a lot of good for my psyche. Jake Rogers. Jake Rogers. And, yeah. Big one. You know, is 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 that gonna? I'm not gonna say provide any clarity, but is it gonna? You know, when you have binoculars and you gotta you know adjust the lenses or whatever, is it gonna, just gonna? Is, is he gonna adjust the lens a little bit so you can just see the catcher situation just a little bit better? Uh, I hope so, but did literally a complete unknown right now and we're at the tigers are essentially just in data collection at this point uh trying to see if these guys you know get more innings get more at bats and be able to make more informed decisions uh in the off season and moving forward and as al said getting more bats this off season austin meadows are we gonna see austin austin meadows i mean i don't Supposedly he's doing well. <laughs> Heard that before too, so I I don't know. Uh, doing well might be the might be the new coach speak of one day at a time. It's like yeah, everybody's doing well apparently, but no one's well enough to play. Except Miguel Cabrera, <laughs> to his credit. <laughs> he's in. He's that in that is pain, one more thing that should be noted with the guilt. Dude is toughing out. He's in a lot of pain right now. So regardless of if it's. The right decision or not, um, you can't fault him for like not, not toughing this out. You know, you can tell he's hurting. He's, and, he's doing what he and, can. And one of the reasons why is that he was playing through injuries when the mm-hmm. team was in contention. So, like that, that is definitely worth mentioning. That that see, that's the kind of thing that like if for a variety of reasons, just to go back to Miguel for a second, that like. People ought to know that and, like, have this, like, the city like Detroit ought to, like, have this. And I know people love him, but, like, this endearing, like, 
yeah, Miguel Cabrera basically ran his knee into the ground for for my favorite baseball team, for my city, and like that should overshadow really anything else of like the tail end of his playing career, you know, and and how it, you know, how how much of a cliff it ended up going there. So, anything else, Cody, before we wrap up here? No, all good. All right. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you to Cody for waking up early so we could get this done. And uh, and if you feel so inclined, please subscribe on Apple and Spotify. You can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Please subscribe to The Athletic. Cody was a very busy man this week. And uh, your the Tigers page on The Athletic app is just flooded with interesting stories and insight and analysis and context that you don't get anywhere else so i can't can't emphasize that enough so hope everybody has a great week for cody stavenhagen i'm kieran steckley thank you for listening